Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Showing Up to Your Life podcast and YouTube channel. My name is Art Burns, and I'm excited here today, but you know what? <laughs> I'm also I'm a little tired, I'll be honest with you. Um, today is actually my day off, and so I, I made a, a, an allusion to this a, a few episodes ago. At some point, I'm going to realign my recording days, right? So I'm going to record on the weekends and take a couple of the weekdays off. I hope that's okay with everyone, um, but you know, it's even when you love what you do, and even when you're, you know, even when what you do really does energize you, it's still very, very helpful to take a day off. <laughs> once in a while. And I found that I had actually worked like, you know, I mean, there were definitely some days where I didn't have to work the whole day, but but I had to work some, you know, which which means that you get into that, that headspace, right? Like we need to just, we need to release that from time to time, right? We need to just get out of that and just have a day where, you know what, it's okay if you just lie around all day and do nothing but watch Netflix, right? That's not really my style. It's probably not what I will do to, to relax and to enjoy myself but it's okay if I do, right? Like, that's the idea, right? Like, you need to have that sort of autonomous, you know, kind of release of your, um, you know, of your time, you know, it's, it's very, very important. I'm moving my microphone here so you can all see my, uh, my nice shirt from the uh, Love and Arms uh, uh, Animal Sanctuary up here in, uh, there in uh, Erie, Colorado, outside Denver. Wonderful folks, wonderful uh, farm, wonderful residents, uh, animals and humans alike. <laughs> and uh, I love them. Uh, and I just love the, the heart on my shirt. I mean, it just reminds me every time I see it, reminds me of, you know, my compassion and my love. <clears throat> so anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so today's kind of just a, uh, it's a little bit of an informal subject too, because I wanted to talk about, I mentioned this yesterday. So <clears throat> um, this was actually originally planned for yesterday's uh, episode, but I switched it up because of that really kind of powerful lesson that I learned about my own uh, behavior and my own sort of work, you know, with, with regards to these webinars. Anywho, <laughs> um, so, so, but today what I was going to talk about is um, sort of how we transition, right? And, and this is a very, very important topic, right? And especially for any of you, I know I've had two people who have asked to join this program. So you're, you're in, you're welcome, you know, we'll, we'll work out the details and all that. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but, but, you know, for, for, especially for this, right, for this program that I'm going to be starting here and, and specific, but, but, you know, for anyone who's starting a, uh, a mindfulness you know, regimen, you know, uh, it's hard to call it a regimen, I guess, but, but anybody who's, who's trying to, you know, uh, weave mindfulness and heartfulness into their lives, right? Which it's going to be a transitional period, right? You're going from a place where you're, uh, reactive. You may be, um, you know, emotionally, you know, I'm going to say the word illiterate, but that's not meant to be like any kind of insulting, just as the opposite of emotional intelligence, right? Um, which is, a, it's not a static number, right? Like even, even the emotional uh, intelligence, they, they measure that by what they call the emotional quotient, right? EQ, like an IQ, right? And so, uh, so, so it's not like a, an all or nothing thing, right? You can have, um, you know, a, a, a medium level of EQ or you can have a very high level of EQ, right? So, so, so when I say emotional illiteracy, I just mean a, a lower kind of uh, EQ, a lower level of, of uh, emotional intelligence, right? It's not, not like, all or nothing, right? It's not like you can't read, you know, but that's just, that's just the word they use, emotional illiter illiteracy. Um, 
And so you're going from this place where you were reactive, you were, you know, maybe engaging in a lot of anger, maybe you were, you know, um, uh, you know, snapping, maybe you were impatient, maybe you were, you know, all kinds of things. And this, these are the reasons why you came to this work, right? Then, and, and that's true for everyone, right? I mean, if you if you go into like the Buddhist kind of, um, you know, um, uh, philosophies and and sort of, uh, uh, you know, talks and and you know, you go to a, a Dharma center, you know, you, you're likely to hear people. People say that, you know, you want to do Buddhism and, and, and mindfulness just to do Buddhism and mindfulness, right? Like, in fact, one of my, uh, uh, somebody who came through an introduction to mindfulness course, he didn't need it. He's been practicing mindfulness for 40 years, but he came through my course anyway. And he mentioned at one point, he's like, he's like, try not to make a project out of it. Right. And that's important. Right. It is important to say, OK, I'm just going to do this and kind of see what happens. Right. Because if we if we do this and just say, OK, I'm just going to do this so that I can, uh, you know, turn my anger around. Right. Well, then you might miss out on a lot of important stuff that way. So, so I do agree that you want to approach it with an openness. Right. But at the same time, there's a real uh, reality here, a realistic nature of the fact that that why did you come to meditation, right? Like what made you think that meditation was going to be good for you, right? Well, in almost every single situation, that answer to that question, especially in the West, the answer to that question is, I need to fix something about myself, right? There's something about myself that I don't like that that is either dangerous. It's it's scaring me for my health. It's it's destroying my relationships. It's uh you know I can't you know uh, it's unsustainable in some way financially, emotionally, whatever that is, right? But there's something, right? There's something that brought all of us to this work. Right. There's something that we felt was not quite right, that we needed to come to this work and write. OK, and, and make right. Yeah. And so that's there's nothing wrong with that. Right. That's very common. It's very and it's beautiful. Right. It's wonderful to, to, to you know, to be able to approach a new practice, a new way of life, a new uh, programming of yourself, whatever it is. Right. To, to approach something with the the desire to improve ourselves right that is there's something really really beautiful and 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 admirable and and noble about doing that you know so so take some pride in that right like don't don't feel you know like oh you know and that's and that kind of is part of the stigma that maybe keeps people from doing this work so, you know, sooner than they, they probably did, you know, like they could have done it sooner and helped themselves a lot more. Right. And, and, and one and the thing that keeps us from doing that is that stigma, right. Of feeling like, well, if there's something wrong, you know, like I have to admit there's something wrong with me in order to embrace this practice. Right. And so a lot of us are resistant to that idea that something's wrong with me. And that brings us back to the non-identification. Right. And I always every single person in almost every case before I start working with someone. Right. As I call them partners. A lot of people call them clients. You know, I'm trying to find that beautiful, magical word. Um, I'm going to come up. I'm going to make up a word at some point. Uh, an Art Burns, <laughs> Art Burnsian word of some sort. Um, but anyway, um, you know, so so the. Um, so, so when we, you know, when we have that resistance, right, that feeling like, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> digress again. What I say to every single person who approaches me to work with me, every single one of them, I tell them it's not your fault, 
right? Because that's the non-identification, right? We feel like, okay, if I'm going to go, you know, try to learn how to do mindfulness so that I can, I can fix my anger, right? Or whatever you want to call it, right? Reduce my anger, manage my anger, you know, transform my anger, transcend my anger, whatever you want to call it, right? You know, that, what, what, what that very statement includes is that there's something wrong with me because I have this trouble with this anger, right? And, and the minute we think there's something wrong with us, well, then we're feeling shame, right? And when we feel shame, we, we close down our, our ability to see things in the same way. We close down our ability to, to reason things and to, and to understand things on a deeper and more um, impactful way and, and in an important way. Right. And so and so so it's critical. It's absolutely critical to to to, you know, to be able to at the same time admit that you need help with something, but also that it's not you. It's not your fault. It's not a flaw. It's not a, a, a an imperfection. Right. Because you are perfect. We are all perfect. There's nothing wrong with any of us. We just, you know, it's just that our bodies have this, you know, t- have learned this tendency through through things that had nothing to do with us, right? Most of it was when we were so young, we couldn't even, we, we wouldn't even been able to, to do something different, right? And so, and so your body has been conditioned to react in a certain way. It has nothing to do with who you are or what you are or, or you know, or what's, you know, what makes you go, right? It's not your essence that we're talking about. It's a behavioral thing. It's a, it's an emotional reactivity thing. It's very much a biochemical thing, right? And it's not your fault, right? So this is a very, very critical concept, right? Because, because if we are going to, because the only way this work, this stuff works, right? These practices work is to really go into them. And the only way you can really go into them in a certain level is to, is to let down your guard, right? To really be open to it. Like that's a required thing is to open to this stuff. And if you're feeling shame and you're feeling fear and you're feeling uh, unworthy, well, then it's going to be really hard for you to open up that way. So the first thing we talk about is how it's not your fault. All right. So once you get through that, now you get into the process of, of writing the ship, if you will, right? Trying to, you know, learn the skills that are going to, to enable you to live in a way that you feel is you know, is, is the antithesis of what brought you here, right? Again, like whether you were fearing for your health, fearing for your relationships, your career, your whatever, right? Doing this work now will impact those areas in your life, right? But now here comes the next part. And this is the really, and this is the part that I didn't see coming at all. Right. And I think most people don't. Right. Because we're looking at it from the inside out. So it's hard for us to see this perspective. Right. But the thing is that, and and this is especially true with anger, right? As you know, I just did this anger transformed webinar. I'm going to start a course on Sunday. Um, So it's all about anger, right? But it's true for all emotions, right? Any anything that's been a, a big deal that you're now turning around, right? Whether it's anger, it's shame, it's jealousy, it's uh, it's fear, it's guilt, it's it's unworthiness, whatever it is, right? <clears throat> the people around you, right? 
they are accustomed to you the way you have been for years, right? Like so, and, and, and it radiates out, right? Like our family has known us since the beginning, right? Especially our parents, right? Like they have known us since the, the very first nanosecond of our life, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, old friends or, or maybe extended family is the next ring, right? So you have your family in this core and they know everything. They know you up, down, right, and left, right? And then you go outward and you go into a ring of extended family who know a lot about you, right? They know almost everything, not quite, right? And then you go outward to, to close friends, right? To, for, with whom you've shared secrets and, and inner, you know, truths that, you know, so these people know you very well. And maybe in, maybe in next to that ring or within that ring is maybe a spouse, right? Which is truly just a really good friend, you know, who, with whom you've, you've partnered in this life, right? And, and gotten into, you know, uh, uh, an intimacy, right? So it's, it's like the best friend ever, you know, kind of thing, right? And so, and then you go out into more, uh, you know, you know, people who don't know that much about you, right? Or, or know less about you, right? The people you've worked with, the people you, uh, you know, casual friends and, and, you know, colleagues, you know, uh, you know, people who you just see in the neighborhood, that kind of stuff, right? So it kind of radiates out, right? And so wherever a person is in that sort of, you know, concentric circular chart that I just described to you, right, wherever they are in that chart, they're going to have a certain level of assumptions that they're going to make about you and your behaviors, okay? And what that means is that even though you're changing things, even though you're making these, you're doing the work to make the changes that, that are going to, you know, reflect in all the beauty of your life, right? All the beautiful things you can do, all the beautiful things you can say, all the beautiful smiles you can give people, all that connection out there that you can get into, right? Like that's, you know, like, like you know, as you start doing that, you're going to see what you're doing, right? And you're going to feel what you're doing. But depending on what, and, and the people in the outer rings of that, that concentric chart that I just described, they'll see it too, right? They're more likely to see it because they don't know you so well. They have less subcontext with which to process you, right? And so, so that's where the, uh, <laughs> the uh, quote, uh, Ram Das has a quote that says, uh, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family, right? And they're, they're that inner ring. Those are going to be the last people to, to see the changes that you're making and to accept the changes that you're making and to believe them in a certain way. Right. Because again, if somebody's seen you for the last, you know, 30 years, you know, with an anger issue, right? Well, then if you, you know, if, if they see you one day with, and you're not feeling particularly angry, you're not showing that anger, well, then they're likely to just say, well, they're just having a good day right? Let's see what happens. And, and it even goes a little further. And this is what Ram Das was saying is that there's so much subcontext with our family, right? That our, our parents can say just one little, you know, like a little pinprick and just let all the air out of our balloons. And we feel like we're, and that's what Ram Das was saying. Like, we feel like we're not very enlightened at all. And we have a lot more work to do. Now that's a danger, right? Because that can be discouraging. And so this is why you need a coach, seriously. Like this is what a coach can help you do. It helps you through this period because, you know, again, 
the the family is going to be the last people to see it, right? But even but everything outside, everything inside of that that very outer ring, you know, it's going to take time before people recognize the changes that you've made, right? And the thing is that during that time where that we're taking for people to recognize this and to start appreciating and to start believing that you're working on yourself the way that you are with your wonderful coach right <laughs> um you know though in that time that it takes for those people to come around to the understanding they are going to continue to treat you as though you haven't changed Right. They are likely to, you know, like and I remember this from from when I, I told you all I used to uh, run a bagel shop, right? A little cafe. Um, it was not a typical bagel shop. It was very, very atypical, like most things that I do. It was very atypical. Um, and uh, and and so one of the things that and, and I just jumped into this. It was very ill-advised, very poor decision on my part. Uh, you know, I, I lost my job in the advertising industry, and I said, "Screw it! I'm going to do something close to home." I've been eating bagels my whole life. How hard can it be, right? <laughs> and most of it, I was right. Most of it was not hard at all. But one of the things that I really struggled with was handling minimum wage employees, okay? I learned a lot, you know, and I had come from managing people who were making eighty dollars to $100,000 a year, right? These people, you know, their job meant a lot to them, right? That was a, a big, big deal. They needed to perform so that they, because this was just one place in their career, right? They had their eyes up there, right? And so so you had a certain level of, of commitment from people, right? A certain level of like, like we can't screw up kind of thing, right? When you're dealing with people who are making like $10, $15 an hour, you know, and I always paid people over minimum wage. Let me be clear about that, right? Like I was the first guy in the block who was paying people $15 an hour. Um, and, and they were shocked that I was paying them $15 an hour, which was beautiful, right? But even that, even at that point, you know, there's only so much crap you're going to take for $15 an hour, right? There's only so much you're going to give of yourself for $15 an hour. And I get that now. I didn't get it then because I, I just didn't have the reference of understanding. And so what this, and, and that coupled with what I have explained to you was a very deep, deep, deep anger issue, right? Like I used to get really angry, like really angry and, and like ragey and, and, you know, shouting and, and, you know, really, really bad. I mean, it was clearly out of control, right? And so what happened is, and this is really fascinating, and I was only able to see this at the end, like when I was walking away from it, like within the last, for the last year, I understood what had happened all this time, right? So I had a couple of employees who were there from day one all the way to the time I sold it, right? There was a continual... Actually, I don't think anybody, I think there was one person who was there the whole time. But the thing is that there was enough crossover, right, that that, that the first impression just kind of lasted forever, right? And what I mean by that, okay, it's very, it's scientifically acknowledged <laughs> that, that, that when we have a first impression of someone, right, it takes a lot, a lot to change that impression we have of them. So if, if, if the first time you meet someone, right, they slam a door in your face, right, it is very likely that you will never, ever see that person as someone who didn't slam the door in your face. I mean, it's not like they, it's not like you're looking to change reality, of course, but you're going to never see them as the type, you know, you're always going to see them as the type of person who's going to slam a door in their face, in your face, right? Unless, you know, there's a lot of time and a lot of effort 
that goes into to changing that impression, right? But but it takes a lot, right? That's the way our minds work. Like we we very you know the the physical brain works that way. It 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 categorizes catalogs and categorizes things that it's it's seeing and and it you know puts it in a box and it moves on because it's very busy the brain right it's got billions of pieces of data that it it, uh, it processes every day right so this is not something that your brain wants to like you know leave open and and you know no okay you know, angry person, mean person. Okay, in this box, bye. <laughs> you know, move over. And, and so, so what happens then, right? So, so, so in this, in the bagel shop, right? I had, you know, in the first couple of years, you know, I was, my head was spinning. I didn't know, I, I had never run a restaurant before. So there was definitely times where I was freaking out because it was my whole investment here, right? Like I, you know, for me, it was not just a bagel shop. It was, you know, like my life savings was in this thing, right? And so, and so I, I, you know, so, so I used to, you know, my anger used to arise quite a bit, right? And, and because there was enough crossover right because there was enough you know like those first employees that you know that, that, that saw me what I'm trying to say is even though in the last two or three years of running the bagel shop I was practicing mindfulness and I was not angry anymore but because there was like this sort of continuum right that people just knew me as the angry boss that even when I was completely neutral and and even smiling right at certain sometimes i would go into the kitchen and the people in the kitchen were like expecting like like the way they talked and the way they you know became defensive like if i you know i would go in and ask somebody hey did you make the chicken salad today you know and they, and they you know slam the counter and say dude you know come on man you're riding me <laughs> it's like it just asked a simple question you know, and it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that this person was crazy in front of me or that they had lost their mind somehow, right? Or lost their grip on reality somehow. It's the fact that they were relying on that subcontext of how they knew me for all these years, right? They knew that I was the guy who would bark like, hey, you didn't make the damn chicken salad. Come on, right? And so even though one day, you know, it was no longer like that, and I would just come in and I would say, hey, you know, Jose, did you get to make the chicken salad today? And he would react as though I barked at him, right? It's not that Jose was, was you know, like out of his mind. He just, he was conditioned, right? He was conditioned to seeing me in that way. And so therefore, it's really hard for him to see me in another way. And so the reason I tell you this is that as you start your mindfulness, heartfulness journey, whether it's with me or with someone else, or you're already doing it with me, I guess, by listening to these videos, right? But if you, whether it's a, a formal coaching kind of thing or you're just doing it on your own, I support you in either way, but you got to be prepared. You know, it's really helpful for you to be prepared for the fact that, that it's not going to just change like that. Now, you're going to change. Let me put it this way. You're going to change faster than the people around you recognize you're changing. Okay. Now, that's why it's very important to have someone, whether it's a coach, whether it's a friend, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a spouse, a sibling, have someone in your life who knows what you're going through right? And who can offer you some, some clear and, and positive feedback about how you're doing, right? Because what happens is if you only have the people in your life who are looking for you to be the same way that you always have been, 
well, it's going to get very discouraging to you. It's going to get very frustrating to you. It's going to get very, you know, you, you very likely will revert back into that same reactivity that you came to mindfulness to alleviate, right? Like that's, that's the thing, right? That's the pitfall. That's the trap we can fall into. Okay. So, so again, I mean, a coach is ideal in this situation right? A coach helps you to, you know, week by week, a coach tells you, no, no, look how amazing you're doing. Look at what you just did. You are a rock star, right? And also the coach says you're a rock star, but we got to do this a little bit more, right? We need to spend more time on this. And a coach helps you to, to, to you know, number one, not only the, the uh, not number one, but, but not only does a coach help you with this sort of, you know, transitional period, but a coach also gets you to make that transition as short as it possibly can be, right? Because your coach is giving you the exercises and the practices that are, that are, you know, that work, right? Like, you know, like you can be very focused with it. Right. It's the difference between, you know, figuring out how to program uh, a computer on your own and going and taking a course where somebody teaches you how to do it. Right. It's a it's a completely different experience. Right. And one takes a long time. The other takes a shorter time. All right. But not only that, of course, then a coach can help you through this transitional period, because the problem is that, you know, here's how it works. Right. And here's how it used to work in the bagel shop, too. Right. It's like it's like, you know, like I come in, I say, hey, did you make the chicken salad, Jennifer? And Jennifer says, God, are you're 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 riding me, man. What the hell? I, I'm just working here. And why are you always doing this to me and stuff? Right. And I'm like, you know, now how do I react to that? Right. Like like now I might get resentful. Right. I might say to Jennifer, well, no, damn it. I came in here asking nicely about the about the chicken salad, but you're freaking out. So now I'm upset. (laughs) And now if you don't want to get fired, make the damn chicken salad. And then you see everybody. You see how angry he is. You see nothing's changed. And now I go home and I feel shame and I feel discouraged and I feel, you know, just low and down and I want to just crawl under the sheets and and just you know hide under a rock or something like that right so you see how that happens and that's why it's really 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 helpful if you don't if you can't if you don't want to or your your you know resources make it unavailable to you to hire a coach well then you can join a Dharma center. We we run one online here called Learning to Surf. I'll put the quote the uh, the te- the uh, link down in the uh, description. You can join Wednesday every Wednesday and Saturday. We offer these classes. Come as you are. Come and go as you are. <laughs> you know, donate if you want to. Don't donate if you if you can't or don't want to. And basically, we practice together, right? We practice together, and then we talk about it together. Right. And so and so this is the community that will help you in this way. Right. If you can't afford or, or you don't want to, for some reason, you know, hire a coach because a coach is something that it's like it's like golfing with a caddy. I mean, I've never even golfed with a caddy, but I can already tell you how the, the experience would be completely different. Right. It's somebody who's there to support you. Right. Like, you know, a lot of times people think that a caddy is just someone who just carries your golf clubs for you, you know, but it's it's far, far different from that. Oh, my gosh, it's so far different from that. And I've been told by people who work with caddies. Right. Uh, and people who are caddies, in fact. Right. Like like someone who used to come to the bagel shop was a caddy for the, the PGA players. Like he had I think VJ Singh was one time he, he was a caddy for that, the you know, major golfer, you know. And so uh, I used to meet a lot of really interesting people. I mean, 
movie stars, uh, you know, just so many different people I met through this. Uh, um, the lead singer from the Psychedelic Furs was a regular customer of mine. Like, like daily, I used to hang out with him. <laughs> he was an idol of mine when I was 13 years old, you know? Anyway, um, so, so when you're working with a caddy, right, a caddy is not just somebody who there, who, who can just, you know, carry your bags. A caddy is somebody who knows that golf course so well. He knows every like square foot of that golf course and can tell you from where your ball is, okay, yeah, it looks like it's 150 yards, but you know, that's a that's an uphill there. It, it doesn't look so uphill, but it is. So you want to shoot as though it's 180 yards, right? And so he's going to help you or she's going to help you to, 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 to do the things that are going to get you the best golf game. So a coach is someone who's going to do the things that's going to get you the best transitional experience. All right. So that's as close as you're going to get to a sales pitch from me. Okay. But, but I just want to explain to you what is there for you. Okay. What is available to you. All right. All right, folks, um, I wish you well. I really, really wish you well. Hope you enjoyed this episode today. I'll put some links in the description. Uh, please let me know if you have any questions, okay? And uh, and if you'd ever want to talk about a coaching situation, I have this group thing coming up. I also do one-on-one. It's plenty of opportunities for you. So if, you, if you're interested in talking about any of that, I'm going to put another link to, to get on a call with me, all right? Thanks, everybody. Wishing you well, and I'll be back again later. Take care.